Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions, raise your voices to the anthem, marching with our mighty army, Wrexham is the name, fearless in devotion, rising to promotion. Close and all to Fearless in Devotion, sponsored by the Fat Ball, this is... Uh, Part two, we've had a dress rehearsal for this uh, podcast because a certain somebody forgot to press record, um, which we've never done before, which I think is not bad considering we've done more than 50 podcasts. So, um, I, but I yeah, don't anyway. know why. It's because I normally <laughs> do all this and it's, and it's seamless. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, how are we all feeling after yesterday? Tim, are you back down to earth yet? Barely, barely. Just one of the most surrealist, surrealist, craziest bizarre games you're ever going to see in, in our lifetime it was just mental and it's left me physically and emotionally drained um, wow. like I've been beaten up it's just yeah crazy it, it, it's it's another one isn't it it's another one to, to take time to sink in but you know three points is what matters and we somehow somehow managed to get them so yeah but what what a brilliant day to be a part of Andy, you're talking to us live from Crew Station on your way back to the Big Smoke. Uh, what did you make of uh, of yesterday's game? I would probably say it's the, probably the best game I've ever seen at the race course. I've seen some good, some good wow. away, yeah, some good away matches that have lasered onto my brain. But I think at the race course, that's got to be up there for just sheer emotion for a roller coaster ride. I mean, what I'd say is I'd, I'd like to sort of talk about two players on this firstly i'd like to talk about ollie palmer and i think he really and truly has been the catalyst for our recent good run he makes parky ball work because just the way he holds the ball up the way he brings people into play the way he's a goal threat and one or two people always have to mark him he was the main reason we got back into this game you know one of his finishes was just sublime sublime and so you know big shout out to palmer i think as as sort of um, a transfer window signing. Can you think of a better January signing we've ever done than Palmer? Well, I think he scored eight or nine in 12, hasn't he? Which is uh, speaks for itself, really. Yeah. Uh, and then the other person I'd like to talk to about, uh, about is, is, is Dibble, the much maligned um, Christian Dibble. Now, to be honest, a lot of people are saying he should be dropped after that. But looking back at it, I think he could have done better on one or maybe two of the goals. And if you're saying what well, people need to be dropped, well, it's not just doesn't stop at Dibble. You need to, on that performance, you need to say Tozer should be dropped. Hayden should be dropped. I think it's a bit, it's a bit much to put all, all of that, those five goals on, on Dibble. I don't know what you guys think. I, I'm inclined to agree with you. Having watched, as I say, I wasn't there yesterday, so I'll caveat that with that. But having watched those goals again, I mean, the, the one where he sort of almost knocks Tozer out, that that shouldn't have been allowed to happen in the first place, number one. And he's called for it. He's come out, he's running, he's calling for it. It should be toes of the move. I wouldn't say that's his fault. Um, and it shouldn't have been allowed to develop that far anyway, as I said. Um, the other one when he got lobbed, yeah, maybe you could say he hesitated a little bit. But, I mean, I was expecting a lot worse. You know, when I was following the game, obviously, from home and following people on Twitter and on the live match threads, I was expecting an absolute calamity. And it just, the highlights just don't suggest that at all. What do you think about Dibble, Tim? 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's an easy target, isn't he? He's he's made mistakes in the past. He's held his hands up to those, and he stepped in at the business end of the season. So, I'm, it's one of those that you kind of don't want to overly criticise anybody or dig anybody out. Um, but you know, the, there's still ten players in front of him. You know, we look at you look at the defence. Yeah. It's not there's a lack of communication going on there. That, that's the big concern. I mean, you know, and the communication is is, is two way, isn't it? So it can't just be just him there's something I suppose the bigger picture because because of the madness of the game and the madness of the scoreline it kind of masks various kind of um, discrepancies in that performance which I don't want it to do but I don't see him being dropped I think if he was to drop if, if, if he was if he was dropped uh, I, don't, I don't know if we'd see him again it's, it's you know mm. he's the longest serving player for whatever reason um, so there's something about him and I don't think Camp's going to be fit enough to jump in, but I think Dibble will definitely benefit from having his experience um, around him, you know, just to give him that leg up. So I think Andy alluded to this in our dress rehearsal, as you said, but, you know, I think this week that they really need to sort of build him, build him back up, build him his confidence. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't look great. It doesn't, you know, if you ship five goals to any, any team, that, that have been relegated it doesn't matter what goalkeeper you are it doesn't look good for you Everybody but, as, but, as, but as Andy said you know that that's on the defence as well isn't it it's got to exactly be exactly is of course it is and, and and because of the standards that that, that the defence has set you know particularly Hayden Toes has come into his own a lot more but Fadstein's been really good you know Lainton's been Lainton just superb and like when you come into that that unit that's been so solid and, and and trying to, to match up to those those standards is always going to be difficult. You kind yeah, of that's hard. Into, you kind of want to hide into nothing. So, you know, I, I can understand the fidgetiness. Is that a word? The sort of squeaky bum aspect to it, and it, it it's a little bit disconcerting. However, you know, we are where we are, and we've got what we've got, and we have to go with it. And, and, and we we have to we have to back him. We have to back him to big cover parky to drop him. I don't see it happening. Um, but I don't see it happening either. No, and yeah, I, I, I also, I don't see it happening. I also think, look, that defence had done well with with Leighton behind them, and obviously they've they've got they've they've become a group, and they know sort of you know when when calls are made, you know what Leighton's telling him to do, what Toes is telling him to do. They have to readjust that now because they've got Dibble in, and it might take a couple of games for them to, to find that new that new level. So, you know, it wasn't perfect yesterday. I think his confidence did look a, a bit shot in the, in the second period. But at the end of the day, we won. So a lot of, you know, that will be masked over and we can really kick on again. And I can't see Dibble being dropped. I don't want him to be dropped. And I still think there's a good keeper there. He, he, he has to get used to this playing out from the back, though, and quickly. Because it's not something he's probably been accustomed to, which we've been doing a lot more of. You know, we don't see many goal kicks anymore off the ground. It's quickly mm. taken back through the through the defence and through the lines. So, you know, and, and sometimes that puts pressure on keepers, as we saw with the Halifax the other day when, when we did them in the last minute. So, you know, I don't know. I I, I I can't I can't I can't see any any real benefit in 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 digging him out at this stage of the season. We've got to go with what we've got, and it's as simple yeah. as that. The only thing is, if it keeps happening and it happens next match and it happens the match after, then yeah, okay, that's why we've got an experienced keeper in. But at, at this point, we've got to stick behind 
behind yeah, him. I think so. And with all the usual caveats of we conceded five goals to a team that's already relegated and that's won one game all season, it was an absolute shambles of a display at the back by all accounts. However, there was one man in particular who stood out for Dover, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, Giassi up front was was electric. Probably the best performance I've seen from someone I hadn't heard of uh, since Andre uh, Andre Gray played for uh, for a lower team mm. uh, in the in the trophy and absolutely ripped us apart. I said then, well, it'd be great to sign in. Obviously, we never did, but maybe we should be keeping an eye on Giassi. Looking back at his career, I think he went to Chelsea as a 14-year-old for big money then then moved away to Leicester. He's currently on loan from Kings Lynn, so his career's dropped a little bit. But there's a player there, isn't there? He absolutely had toes around toast. Toes around toast. There you go, as a flag. Um, yeah, he was really good. He was really, really good. Um, outstanding. Got that. Somebody said before that he did the same thing at Halifax of the week. He was just all over the shop in terms of dragging defenders all all out of position. Um, you can do worse than. Then look at him um, in greater detail. So, yeah, great, great performance. Scored a hat trick. How many players score hat tricks and end up on a losing team? Not many. Are you, uh, has your train arrived yet, Andy? Yeah, it's here now. I'm trying to find it. I've just, just located it. There you go. Stay on, stay on the line. Um, despite all the goals we conceded, clearly that was a disaster. The comeback, we're showing time and time again that we never say die. And the, there's clearly an awful lot of team spirit in this squad. So even though there are concerns there with, in terms of the defence, definitely, um, much more reason to be positive, in my opinion, uh, in terms of the way that we're sort of dragging ourselves out of these mess, out of messes that, we, yes, we, we do create the messes in the first place. However, we're in a run-in, and it's very clear that there's a lot of team spirit and that they're willing to fight right until the 99th, or the hundredth minute, whenever yesterday's equaliser went in, it's just mad, isn't it? We're not, we're not, we're kind of conditioned or preconditioned to sort of abject failure. And if we go a goal or two down, we're not expecting to pull that back. Um, you know, let alone a, a margin of of three goals to pull it back and, and overtake it is quite something. But I think I alluded to this earlier on. I said, I said if, if you watch that game back, it's a bit like watching a. The car crash when you're on the M6, you just you have to look, you know, curiosity gets the better of us, the sort of morbid sense of curiosity. And yes, there was so much wrong with that performance, but there was a lot right with it, which sounds weird, but you know, that that could be it could be another massive turning point, similar to Chesterfield, where everything looked lost and down and out to completely you know, bucking against it and, and completely transforming our ideas and our outlook and if you score six goals at home, then you've got every chance of doing any team in this division. I don't care who they are, where they're from. We've got we've got the attacking options now, and yeah, look at look at the defensive stuff, which I'm absolutely sure they will look at in great length this week. You know what? It, it, it's just unbelievable. The, the character and belief going through that that entire squad tells you all you need to know, and that can get you. Very far in life, you know, if we go yeah. back to the crazy gang spirit and all that of yesteryear, then, you know, that that that, that essentially is essentially what got us the three points yesterday is, is, is the never say die attitude. 
And that's the thing for me. I'm not going to dwell too much on the negatives because uh, the players and the coaching staff will be doing that without a doubt. They'll be watching that game back uh, through their hands, I would imagine, looking at some of that defending. Uh, But in terms of the way they came back, great team spirit. Andy, are you on your train yet? Oh, God. He's fallen down. This this, this is a good time to say that um, our lovely podcast has been shortlisted for uh, an award, best non-league podcast, I believe, uh, via the non-league Bible. I think it's at NL Bible 4 on Twitter. Similar thing on Facebook. Um, voting for the shortlisted um, lot, the several, including Rob Ryan and Red, our friends over there. Um, I think voting opens tomorrow, as in Monday, by the time you listen to this. So please, if you enjoy this and you think it's great or you enjoy doing please go and vote for us. It'd be massively appreciated. Um, we love what we do. It's all down to you guys for listening that, that make this what it is. So please go and vote. It means a lot. Um, and yeah, thanks thanks, for, thanks for listening and for the support so far. Can I just say that this would be a lot easier if, uh, if Reese had just pressed record. Uh-huh. So, 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 so to take that into account when you're voting, I've also heard that Rob Ryan read babies. I don't know if it's true, but... but... I've, heard, I, I've also heard the Rob Ryan read uh, press record before they start. 1157 of anti-West Coast Service to Glasgow Central. Oh, he's got a Scotland. And he's after Scotland's peak. Don't vote for us based on this amateur podcast alone. Vote for us on on the high quality standard of previous guests. Absolutely. Um, And Andy, why don't you very quickly uh, introduce our guest, who it's time to hear from now, who was a, a real great guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was great. Great to speak to. I'm really surprised that he doesn't think that he's a he's a hero amongst fans, but he certainly was one of mine when I was growing up. Four years of him owning midfield, one of a left foot. Um, really humble guy when we speak to him. Can I just apologise beforehand? Yet more apologies in this in this podcast. Um, he, the guy in question, is part of quite a famous chant, and I tried to to say it to him beforehand, and I had a complete mind blank, even though I've said sung this chant hundreds of times yeah, got the words tried to get tried to get Liam in to help that didn't go well either and absolutely absolutely sorry for that and this <laughs> sorry we can hear you carry on okay right so anyway upcoming it's Peter Ward the one and only Peter Ward we only do podcasts with people called Ward now Ashley Ashley's next and maybe uh, maybe a bit of Gabby's He was one of the key components in the best Wrexham team many of us can remember. Brian Flynn spent 40k, a king's ransom for the Robins at that time, to bring the 30-plus playmaker from rival Stockport. But within a few seasons, he'd more than paid that back, and then some. From memorable FA Cup runs to just missing out on promotion three times, he was instrumental. He even became the filling in a rather memorable chant that we still use to this day. A wand of a left foot and a tackle that would grind your bones. He's still a fan's favourite. And Tim was livid he didn't make it into our all-time 11. Welcome to the one and only Peter Ward. How are you, Peter? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for that. Ego's just got oh. up. Oh, it more or less wrote itself, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that chant? I've heard it a few times, but I don't actually know the words. I've had a few drunken Wrexham fans sing it to us, but... Never really, never really understood it. <laughs> Come on, Liam. We can do it. 
Are you expecting me to sing it? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll both do it. Do the spoken word version. Yeah, we'll do the spoken word version. You, Marion. Harriet rolls the ball to Hardy. Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Hardy to Peter Wood. Yeah, go on. You, you, oh, I'm doing it all, am I? Yeah, you're doing it, yeah. Peter Wood to Connolly. Connolly down the wing, nobody can stop him. Puts the ball in the air. A super Just Steve Watkins. Come in on that bit. <laughs> Do you remember a goal that ever happened like that, Peter? Never. Never. I can uh, I can't remember getting past the ball of Phil Hardy, never mind. Phil Hardy always used to play down the wing. I used to go moan at him for ages. Carl Cobb used to glide past people as if they weren't there, you know. Everybody used to think that, oh, we're going to crunch him here and tackle, and he just skipped past them, and he was that good, like, you know. You know, I was, I was hoping you go, yeah, I can remember that goal, and you sort of stand your back on the halfway line going, I hope someone makes a chant about this. <laughs> no, I can't remember that goal. Dear I just apologise as well, because that's the, probably the worst version of that song that anyone's ever heard, so just throw that out there now. <laughs> You know yeah. what? What we'll do later, mate, we'll edit in. We'll, we'll see you properly. And we'll see we'll edit, properly. Edit, edit that in. It'll be seamless, like it never happened. Okay. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning. Uh, so you're a lad from North East, Chester Street. Just, um, yeah, Chester Street, County Durham. Yeah, grew up uh, Brian in Robson Country. Yeah. Uh, is it true that you were originally scouted by Jack Charlton? Yes, I uh, spent six months in Newcastle from when I was 20. It was January till the end of the season. I did a six-month contract. Uh, Jack Charlton invited us in for a trial, and I scored on my debut against Barnsley in the reserves, and, and they offered us a deal to the end of the season. I mean, what, take us back to their, sort of like your youth career. Were, were you always sort of? Did you go to a to a, like a, a big club, or was it was it? No, I had trials, numerous trials, but football wasn't organised like it is now with the academies and that, you know. You got invited down a couple of nights a week training at Sunderland, Newcastle, Middlesbrough, which was a local team, Hartlepool, Dalton. But uh, I ended up going on trial to Watford that right. morning when I was uh, 15, 16. And, but I never got offered a, an apprenticeship or anything. Then I ended up at Blackburn Rovers when I was 17. And I spent about travelling down for three months and they they were the same. They didn't they didn't fancy us, and I didn't get offered a deal. So I came back and started playing non-league football. Mm. And what, would, what sort of level would that have been now, like Chester Street? Chester Street was probably like just below the northwest counties. You know, it was it was a northern league then, and it was big Bishop Auckland, Spinney Moor. You mm. know, they, they, they were big hitters at the time. Blue Star, they were good, and I was like a nineteen-year-old kid and had a good run in the team. Yeah. I mean, I played for the youth team all the way through, Chester Street boys all the way through, and then I ended up getting invited into the first team and I had a good run in the first team in the FA Vars, I remember playing, and I scored a few goals and there was a lot of scouts looking at us and Newcastle invited us in for a trial. And as I said, I scored on my debut against Barnsley at St James's Park and they offered us a deal to the end of the season. Were you a Borough fan or a Newcastle fan? I'm a Sunderland fan. I'm a Mackin. Are you? All right. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It broke my dad's heart for me putting your castle strip on. Yeah, you, know, you didn't let. Did you let that slip? Or no, 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 no. You couldn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I didn't say anything like that. But it was just surreal because I'm watching on the telly these players, and I turned up on a Monday, and I was training with the first team: Chris Waddle, Peter Beardsley. Right. Uh, you know, 
Glen Rhoda. It was, it was, was that real folks, Gaza? Oh, Gaza was yeah. in the youth team then. Yeah, but right. uh, he he was one of the most memorable training sessions ever had at Benwell, which was the old training ground at Newcastle. Yeah. And, um, you know, Big Jack, was, and I was just there on a Monday, and I'm thinking, I'm get, getting changed and going out, and I'm, I'm playing head tennis with Beardsley and uh, Waddle, and I'm thinking, dear me, this is brilliant. <laughs> but I had a good spell there, and I was like 20 at the time, and Gascoigne was... Joe Allen had a good youth team. They won the FA Youth Cup that time. And at the end of the season, they give them all a contract that won the, the FA Youth Cup. And they, they didn't renew mine. So I went back into non-league. But I, I, I love get, just getting the train to into Newcastle and the bus up to Benwell to the training ground. Big Jack shouting and everybody, forgetting everybody's name. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it was a great experience, you know. I just wasn't I mean- prepared. I wasn't prepared for it then, though, because I was, like, so naive about life and that then. I just wasn't prepared, you know. I didn't re- really... You know, kids, when they're growing up, they seem to know exactly what they're doing. Like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just playing football because I loved it, you know? I suppose you sort of touched on it then. Like the academy system brings up a player in a completely different way now. You're getting oh. media trained when you're 17. You, you, you're getting a lot more money and told how to use it. I suppose there wasn't it wasn't that like that back then, was it? No, it wasn't, not at all. Like, you know, I used to go to the ground on a Friday, pick me wages up, and I remember I was getting paid more than my dad. My dad was a welder, and I was getting paid more than my dad, so my board went up at home. But you know, <laughs> it was a good experience. And, I mean, just just being at the training ground, and, you know, Gascoigne was just coming to the front there. He was really showing great skill in the uh, youth, FA Youth Cup run, and he'd, he'd started training with us all. And uh, we're doing a training session one day, and Big Jack always liked to play eleven v eleven. And um, I, I, I was in midfield with with Gaza, Ian Bogie, Joe Allen, all, all these kids that came through, and uh, we were playing against the first team. And Big Jack wasn't happy with the way of training, and he he loved eleven v eleven, and he liked to do a, a practice and it was cross and so. On. We, we kicked off. Big Jack does his kick, rolls back the mix, and he smashes it up the wing. Tony Cunningham heads it, heads it straight to Gaza. Gaza dribbles past Gary Mixon if he's not there, plays <laughs> Paul Stevenson on the right. Stevenson crosses it now running and I volleyed it in in the first minute. And Big Jack's got the training session and he said, like, I'm not going to happen that. So he said, I want first team in on the pitch and I want all you lads to get a ball and stand just be- behind the centre circle. And he said, I want you to volley them in the air. Big George and Tony Cunningham are going to challenge let the ball come back to Mixon, play it wide to Waddle, and Waddle cross it, or Beardsley cross it from the... You just play Waddle on the right and Beardsley on the left. So we're following the balls up, and Big George heads it back, goes to Waddle, Waddle comes inside, 30 yards, bends it in the top corner, and Big Jack blows his whistle. He says, Chrissy, no, stick to the script. <laughs> and cross it. We were going to looking at Big Jack like, you know, but he wasn't having it. So it come to my turn to kick the ball. So I had the ball in my hand and I'm just about to volley it up in the air and Gaza pulled me shorts down and I tripped over. And I tripped over and everybody was laughing and Big Jack went mad. <laughs> he got us all together and he was furious and he was definitely and he come and says, right, you've got 60 seconds to get round the pitch and back in here or you're all trading this afternoon. So we've got to run around, everybody's laughing, like, you know, and get back in this and so anyway. So 
He says, right, do it again. So I get the ball, I volleyed it up. And just as I volleyed it up, this big gold Mercedes car comes flying into the trading ground about 100 mile an hour, screeches to a halt, all the windows are blacked out, and the window went down, electric window went down, and this voice shouted, Jack, the salmon in the tweed. He took his stopwatch off, his whistle, he gave it to Willie McFall, he said, see you on Saturday, lads. <laughs> and he went, we never saw him all week, he went fishing. <laughs> I mean, that is an eventful training session. Not only did you get kegged by Gaza, I'm going to have to ask, did Gaza get everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. No, oh, yeah. Oh, he pulled everything down. That was his favourite. Right. He used to walk around and train and wedge here all the time. He was a pest. He would just, he used to get on people's nerves all the time. But yeah, I suppose you could tell even back then that's going to oh, be some player. He was, yeah. It was just how, how are we going to control him, right? You know, because he, he, he was, he, skill was unbelievable and, he, he like first team players, you just push them out the way and like, barge past them and dribble past them. And you, you knew we were something special, like you know. I wonder how many, uh, how many salmon Jack got, got that day. Yeah, well, I never found out, so but he used to love his fishing. Yeah, that was so, that was one of the most memorable training sessions ever. I mean, to be honest, that is a that is a, we could probably have a podcast on that training session. But, <laughs> So you sort of moved, you made your name in Rochdale, you came back in, made your name at Rochdale, but I suppose a club you're most synonymous with is is, is Stockport. So there was a character in charge there, wasn't it? Danny Begara. Danny Begara. Any, any sort of thoughts on, on, on Danny? Danny was a Uruguayan and he, he was a... Oh, he was 100% football. Everything, every minute of the day, he used to think about football. And he, he was different to what I'd had before coaching-wise. He loved to spend time, technical, tactical stuff. He spent hours on the training ground with them, you know, and he was he was just, just like an infectious guy. Like, you know, he had a good personality and he, he, he sort of like rubbed off on you, you know. So after being like at Huddersfield Town and to Rochdale and come to, to, to Stockport and Danny, it was totally different for me because, I mean, I used to, used to get us out and you used to have to practice your free kicks, your corners. He was big on set players. And you, you had to do everything like that. And the warm-ups used to be about half an hour, but it was all technical stuff for the football. Like we used to do a warm-up, we used to be running around the pitch and stretching one corner, stretching the other. Then all of a sudden, I was doing all these technical warm-ups with the Uruguayan, and it was enjoyable. But it was an experience in itself, just meeting the fellow, you know. When I went down to sign from Rochdale, Rochdale had turned a bid down from a, a Scottish team for his a deadline day, and... I think it was about 100 grand or something. And then Danny got wind of it and he knew. <clears throat> so he found out, because he was a, a manager at Rochdale before that, and he knew a lot of people and, and he was struggling for money. And he said, like, I'll buy Peter Ward off you. So he got a good deal for us, I think. And uh, I went to sign for him. So Stockport in the old days, I, I got off the train, walked up to the ground, knocked on the door and I said, I'm Peter Ward. I'm here to see Danny Begana. <clears throat> and nobody could find him. So the kit man said, there's a, I'll go and find him. He says, why don't you go and have a look at the pitch now? It's a, the grass has come through. It's looking great for the new season. And as I walked out the main tunnel, on top of the dugout, there was a man lying with an air rifle. <laughs> um, and I walked up and he went, and he shot and he's shooting pigeons on the other side of the pop stand. And I went up and he went, hello, I'm Danny Begara. I thought it was the ground, but it was Danny Begara. He was lying on top of the dugout shooting pigeons on the other side of the ground. 
So it's that was his first ever new manager and he's armed. <laughs> that was his first. I'd spoken to him on the phone, but it was the first time I met him, and he was like, he was like a centric character. Like he used to do things, and sometimes like you'd come back to the ground, and he'd be practicing his golf shots on the ground, like his wedge. He'd have his wedge out and he'd be practicing shots like that. But he, he, he was a different breed, and he was, he was like he, he loved technical, technical stuff, and. He was always changing formations, and that's when I got really start to understand the game. Like you know, I was going to say, do you think he sort of really made you as a player? Because we we remember you as a sorry, very sort of technically gifted and quite sort of aware player. Is is that down to Danny? Yeah, it, it, before then, I, when I was younger and all, I was a lot more mobile than what I was when I came to Wrexham. You know, I mean, it was often said to us. I mean, about three or four coaches had said if I had any pace, I'd have played for England. You know, and that always killed me. That, <laughs> yeah. So I was, uh, it was one of them. I started to really understand the game and I, my role and my responsibility to the team. And that was, and I was 26 then, 27 when I, by the time I really understood the game, you know. So the kids are getting taught much younger now, right? You know, I used to just, because yeah. I loved it, you know, and I, I just wanted to score goals or I wanted to crunch somebody in a tackle, you know. And it was just one of them things. And then by the time I got, Stockport, I was 26, 27, and it really like dawned on us that this is my role and this is what is expected of us. And you know, and it, it that shaped us. And when I came to Wrexham, yeah, obviously Danny had left, Dave Jones had took over, and things had gone a bit stale for us. And I wanted a new challenge. And like out of the blue, I got a phone call off uh, the club saying Brian Flynn had wanted to speak to us. So I thought I might as well go and see what he's got to say, Flynn. So I so I, I did. I went to meet him in Manchester and we had a cup of tea and that. And, and I, I quite liked it. He, he said, I've got two great young midfielders coming through. And he says, oh, I want you to teach them how to play. And it was Dave Brammer and Brian Hughes. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah. they are. They were two very good players. Brilliant players. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant kids. Great ability. And I, I like to think that uh, they learned quite a bit of me in training and watching me in early years at the uh, uh, I think I think Brian was always quite good at that. He was always good at getting a good, experienced player mm. and then harnessing or putting them together with whoever he's got coming through. He did it before with you know Gareth Owen and got Mickey Thomas next to him. And I think you were probably the next sort of person to come in and do that. I mean, mm. I just want to talk about um, Brian, Kev, and Joey as sort of like a unit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, did they all sort of complement each other? Did they bring something different? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I quite like Brian Flynn's approach to the game. Like, you know, it wasn't complicated. Everything was nice and simple. And, you know, he, he just, he'd give you things about the opposition, how we're going to play. I mean, when we used to practice things in training and it was really simple. And Kev was like the... The coach sort of thing, he, the training sessions, and he, he'd do all, all the work during the week. And Joey was just Mr. Motivator, you know, and he, he just, I, I played with Joey at Rex, at, at Huddersfield, so I knew what Joey oh, was right. like, you know. Yeah, he, was, he looked after us at, at Huddersfield, so I knew Joey, and uh, he was, he was one of them. Joey was Mr. Motivator, like, and he was great around the changing room, always like upbeat and always wanted to win every game, like, come on, as if it's your last game, and, you know, and, get stuck in and get, get, get into them like you know Brian Flynn was one of them like just play keep the ball keep moving it if it goes square play forward the next time you know because we'll get we'll get uh, tackled and that so 
all three of them complemented each other really nicely. Cool. I mean, thinking about that team, I mean, Brian was quite quite rigid in in his formation, but I think that formation was quite ahead of its time. It was sort of like a, it was obviously a back four, but the fullbacks were given license to bomb on. Yeah. You've got three and well, you know, two energetic midfielders. You sitting in, and then you've got like <laughs> four three three, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Carl Connolly sort of he's he's like a winger, but he isn't. And yeah, then, he float, he's in between it, it's one of the. I think the, I don't what they call them now when the floating wingers they come inside. He was like an all yeah. inside left. He didn't play up front, so he was, he was difficult to mark. And he was yeah. always an outlet for a midfielder, you know, playing through the lines. You know, he used to pick up that little position. He was good for that curl. And the fullbacks were allowed to bomb on. And we, we like one of my jobs was really if the fullbacks had gone on, if the ball got played down there, the centre half came yeah. out, I would either fill in there or I'd double up with them. So. You know, it was quite simple, but it was. I think he, he he played against a lot of international teams, and I think he picked it up from there, you know, the 4-3-3. The three, mm. three. And sometimes he didn't play with a left winger because commonly liked to run outside that way, and Phil Hardy was quite effective overlapping, you know. So it, it was quite good, yeah. And it it took a, a while for teams to work us out, you know, how, how to play against us and that. And there was very few, like, uh, used to really dominate us because we used to always have big parts of the game like you know yeah yeah as I say it was it, it, a lot of the teams just played 4-4-2 it was 4-4-2 all the way so if you bring something a little bit different and you know you're not and you're only playing twice a season it, it does take a while for the players never mind the manager to, to work yeah, it out yeah. it, it was a, it, I quite enjoyed it as well because I was a I was a get, getting older and I didn't have the legs that I used to have and mobile as I was and but I sort of like I could pick up the position where I thought the ball was going to go, and often I'd pick it up and then I'd just recycle it, and off we go again down the other side, you know. And at the time, I think in the midfield I was playing with Wayne Phillips, who was having an absolutely blinding season uh, mm. before he left, and he was so he was he, he was like a greyhound, you know. He, he would bomb on it back. He he would be breaking into the box, and then he'd be back covering the fullback, you know. And he, he was just. My brilliant at that uh, first eighteen months I was there, and Rooster mm. was uh, Rooster was like a, a dribbler. He, he was good on the ball. He had a nice passing, but he was a dribbler. So we, the three of us sort of like complemented each other. Yeah, and I mean, what was it like going into to that dressing room when you first come in? Is is it is it was it quite welcoming? Did you have to prove yourself a little bit, or or did they sort of go right? We know why this guy's been brought in. Yeah, it was it was sort of like um, I think. There was me, Kev Russell, uh, Craig Skinner, all joined together. And when I came in, I mean, the, it, they were they were very welcoming, like you know. And I think that they knew that, and I think they respected because they played against us. Some of them, Gazzone in particular, who were, uh, you know, who I rated very highly as well as a player. And I mean, they, they were great lads. They were young lads, a lot of young lads in there. there was, I think there was only two of the youngs who was a bit mm. older at the time. Most of the other lads who had moved on. The older ones have moved on, but there was a young dressing room, but there was some good talent in there. Like I said, Brian Hughes and Dave Brammer were exceptional. Yeah. Um, right. Someone's told me this, and I need to, and I need to fact check. I was told that sometimes you were sick before games due to nerves. Is that yeah. correct? That was correct, yeah. If I was a all nervous... The all the time? Doesn't matter. Every game? Every... I used to have false teeth at the time, you know, and sometimes I used to forget to take them out. And sometimes I'd, I'd make myself sick because I was feeling sick. 
And I used to end right. up on the Pickney Falls teeth up out the toilet, you know. Yeah, yeah, I used to... I bet that was Joey. I bet Joey Jones had told you that. I, I, I can't name names. I cannot name names. I, I, I can't name names. I suffered, I suffered from nerves, believe it or not. But once I was on the pitch, I was all right. But that 10 minutes before you go out, I was run to the toilet and make myself sick or being sick, you know? So, so it was like a regular thing. There's like people know it's coming, game. like Joey's there or he's off again. Every game, yeah. Every, sometimes, sometimes they've stopped in the tunnel the walk out because I've gone running into the toilet and oh, we're not ready yet and I've been sick and then come out and drink a water and I'm off. Yeah. Wow. You, that was coming. Dietitian now wouldn't know what to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It probably changed my diet anyway because I used to eat everything <laughs> and anything. <laughs> so was that only a football thing? I mean, is it like... No, football. Totally football. It meant so much to us. I used to... I used to get wound up so much for the game, thinking I play well if I don't play well, and you know, it, it just I, things used to go through my head before, just before the kickoff. You know, when you get that, it starts building up the adrenaline, starts pumping. You think yeah. you're ready to go now. Sometimes it used to be the ref they used to ring the bell or blow the whistle, and as soon as as soon as I heard that, I used to run into the toilet and think, oh, I'm going to be sick here or something. Sometimes I wasn't sick, but I, I used to go through it all. Yeah, but, uh, it's, it's yeah. almost like a trigger, isn't it? It's part, it becomes part of your pre-match routine. Oh, I was terrible. Anyway. And during the cup run was even worse. The cup run we'll was terrible. Cup run. <laughs> it meant so much to us. It, it, it was terrible. I was, I was. Oh, before games, I was hung over the toilet and everything. But uh, I never, I never knew why I did it. And but once I got on the pitch, I felt all right. You know, just used to go away. It's just, it's just strange how little. You know, players have some sort of idiosyncrasies. Now, I think this might sort of touch on the uh, on the cup run, but we do a lot of segment in this in this called uh, your fearless moment, and it's the moment that fills you. That's like a moment that you can remember that fills you with most passion when you when playing for Wrexham. I was just wondering if anything sort of came to mind. I think the um, the really big games in the cup, the uh, the Wrexham. Uh, the Wrexham v West Ham at Upton Park. And mm. the game itself, it went well for us and we did well and we won one and we played really well. But at the end, the fans singing, it was like a Welsh choir. It was unbelievable. It was, and you just like, you can't, I can't explain the feeling like, you know, and I, I was jumping up and down on top of Rooster, Kev Russell, and the noise was, and all the fans were just running to the front and that we were trying to get to them and that was brilliant. And Birmingham, when the third goal went in at Birmingham, the, the crowd went up, and you could—it was like slow motion because I think I took a took the corner with Tony Humes or, or the cross for Brian U, uh, Brian used to score, and as I turned to the fans, I could see old men and all that jumping up and down, and it, it was just brilliant. Like you know, they, they, they stick with them and never lose that. That, that was, and one of them was me goal against Brentford, where I took a free kick at, at Wrexham and. Uh, it was to get us into the playoffs, I think, and I bent it over the wall and went in, and I ran to the, where all the fans used to stand in the corner, the, the hooligans, or what they call them, or the, or the, <laughs> the front line. That's the, yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it, come running down the pitch, enjoying. I was just standing there jumping, and I don't know what I was doing, but we were just jumping and hugging each other, and it was still about 80 minutes to go in the game. That scored early on, you know. So. <laughs> but there, there, there were some of the, the moments, you know, but... The other moments is like um, the Chester, Chesterfield game in the Cup where I got injured in the first half and 
you know, we never reproduced the form. We played at 12 o'clock and I'm still yeah. thinking we've beaten them twice that year as well. And, uh, you know, we thought we really fancied it, you know, and that, that was heartbreaking. That And uh, the other one is uh, when we thought we made the playoffs and then I think it was Ricky Lambert had something scored in the last minute or something in Hartlepool for Bristol Rovers or something like that. Right. And we got... And, I think we were at Southend and coming back on the bus and everybody was so flat. It was They, they were awful experience, but the, the best ones were definitely the Cup run, the West Ham, the noise from the fans, you know, and then the Birmingham, when we scored at the way end, oh, that was, that was unbelievable. That. I mean, just going back to that season, I mean, you'd had a good season before. I think you'd just missed out on the playoffs. Um, and then... That is 96, 97, I think I'm right in thinking. Yeah. Uh, um, could you sort of see when you came back that pre-season, did you think, hang on, we're coming together here, we, we've got a chance of doing something here, even in the league or, or or maybe in one of the cup competitions? Well, the younger kids were starting to develop then and uh, Mark McGregor was breaking into the team, uh, would sign Brian Carey, had a Brian Carey, he was a good signer, a brilliant signer. Uh, we had a Dean Spink up front and... You know, things are starting to come by the end. But it always felt like there was just something missing or one player missing that, you know, that could change everything. We had Carl Connolly. He used to do, he was a maverick, you know, Carl. You could practice everything during the week. And when it comes to a Saturday, he just plays his own game. You know, it was, <laughs> you could practice all week, Carl. When you do this, do that. When it comes to a Saturday, he just played his own game. So best not to involve them in training sessions. <laughs> just turn up on a Saturday, Carl. But it was, you, you got a feeling that pre-season was good and uh, the lads were getting up there. Uh, Brammer was starting to come through. Brian New was looking good, you know, and you, you got a feeling that, you know, the, the, something could click here, like, you know, and uh, I think that we were just a bit, bit unlucky. Probably one player just short of being a really good team, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask you, why, why do you think they, they the team couldn't really break from that sort of seventh or eighth and really get into the playoffs and, get, and give it a go? Was it just that one bit of quality? A bit of quality somewhere, you know. I don't know, it could have been on the left, could have been on the right, could have been midfield, you know, but we just, we and Phillips had moved on and, you know, um, it was just like, there was just something missing. You felt like if we, if when we're playing well, we could match anybody in the league, but if you had a couple of injuries or a suspension, we were never as strong and we'd, we'd lose we draw a lot of games when, yeah. when we wanted our best. We draw a lot of games. And I think that there was a lot of games that we drew that we should have won and we, we would have should have finished like in the in the playoffs at least, you know. And it was disappointing that because at the time you you, you had the cup run, but everybody knew that if we could get into the playoffs, we'd have a good chance, you know, in a one v one game sort of thing or a two-legged game. We always fancied ourselves, but it just never happened. Like, and it just always fell, fell short. And you just look back and you think, can't really put your finger on, but just one piece of quality, I think. One player would have made a difference, but I think they would have, would have to break the bank to get somebody to, to improve. And I don't think we had the money at the time, you know? No, no. It was a tight budget and, you know, we that's what I was just going to touch on, actually, Peter, is um, I'm not sure that players, you know, would particularly be party to the budget as a whole, but can you recall, you know, compared to other teams in the league, is that perhaps what was something that held you back? Yeah, uh, I think I think so. I think that, you know, if, if I, I think Brian Flynn did really well, and I think that if he was given extra money, I think he, he, he would have spent it wisely. He wouldn't have wasted it. I'm sure he wouldn't have. Well, I know he wouldn't have. He always... 
he was always good at picking up uh, bargains and that, you know. But I just felt like they we didn't really have a, the the chairman Bryce Griffiths, even though he was, he was a great fella, and a lovely fella, and all that. It, if somebody else had a, you know, like now the, the chairman at Stockport, Mister Stott, he's he's pumping money in, and and now you've got the the two lads from Hollywood, like you know the the Reynolds and that. You think that oh, if we had that at the time, we, we probably could have gotten that player, you know. That would have made all I don't think Bryce Griffiths is a film star, I'll be honest. I don't think he's ever in Hollywood. <laughs> he was a great fellow, though. I loved him, me. I loved him. He used, he used to love coming into the changing room with the boys and after the games and all that. He was a really nice fellow. Um, one thing I was going to ask, you must have some Isle of Man stories. Oh, Isle of Man. Well, we all used to pretend that we hated going, but we, we used to have some really good times in the Isle of Man. And... Uh, we, we used to go because we'd done a lot of hard work pre-season. We saw that the Isle of Man is a, is a time to let off a bit of steam, like you know, because we'd gone like two, three weeks without a drink, and uh, you, you'd been working really hard, like you know, and you're feeling fit and you're playing games, and it was it felt like a bit of a holiday, like even though it was the Isle of Man. But it, the tournament itself wasn't too bad. It, there were some decent teams in, and uh, it was quite enjoyable. We stayed in a nice hotel, but. Uh, yeah, we uh, we used to have a few nights out. Oh, in the yeah, a few nights out in the Isle of Man. I think we used to get in trouble quite a bit. <laughs> so was it was it like Flynn would say, right? You can have one one night out at the end of the, end of the tournament, or when you go out, and did you sneak in a few others, or is it yeah. that he said, look, after a certain time, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna turn a blind eye. Whatever you guys do, you, no, you do. No. He, he was very, he was very relaxed with things like that. He, he, he was good like that. He'd say like, "Look, he, you know what you're here for. We're here for the tournament. Uh, you got tomorrow off. You want to have a few drinks, relax, but don't go over the top, sort of thing, like you know." But seeing that for a footballer, don't go over the top. Don't have too many. And well, when you get a few of the lads together and they've had a, had one, then you get with the fans. We used to meet up with yeah. the fans. It used to be great because you know we'd go to the pubs and we'd be standing with the fans and then we'd be chatting. Then we'd meet the opposition fans. It, it was good. And they were buying you drinks and you think, well, they're not having another. Oh, go on then. <laughs> yeah. So we who was the worst culprit? Who was the ringleader? Oh, I, c- I can't mention any names, but uh, we had, we had a couple of uh, good drinkers in our in our uh, group, but I can't mention the names. Oh. <laughs> No, but we had, a couple, we had a couple of nutters as well who would do anything for a laugh. So, it, you know, just ming, just mingling with the fans and that was really good, like, after a game and that, that we quite enjoyed it, like, you know. And we say, oh, no, we've got the Isle of Man again. Everybody's going to Spain and that. And we thought, oh, but we used to enjoy it. I mean, one thing you were very well known for at Wrexham was your set plays. Now, you sort of mentioned that, that Stockport is Bagaro was the guy who really sort of drilled you on that. Was that something that you... You, you practised even even at that at, at your age at Wrexham or was it just something you had sort of down by that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, it was one of them things. He he set us up to, to practise and, and told us how important set players were, and, you know, and so I used to practise and he, even at the end of the game, I started off just practising on, on my own and then by the end by the end of the first year, I used to have five or six with us and just practising the techniques, right footers, left footers, you know, just to, asking us how, why what angle I run up to the ball, uh, distance, how, how would I change my distance and all that, and how many steps and that. So we used to go through with some of the young lads and passed on to some, some of them became very good at it, you know. Um, 
Bram had shape power, but uh, Gazon had a lovely, uh, lovely free kick, and you know, ended up some of the youth team players really enjoyed it as well. And so we used to spend like at least half an hour after three, two or three times a week after training sessions, just bag of balls, a couple of air goal up, a couple of air dummies up, and practice a free kick. So yeah, yeah, I used to practice it all the time. Yeah. Is it something like these sort of like set play moves and things that, that brought goals? Is that something that a manager or or Kev Kev uh, Reeves can teach, or is it something you sort of work out with the players? Sort of right, I can hit it like this. If you make this run, I'll find you. Is that is that how it sort of it, it organically? Was, yeah, well, it, it is. It's a bit of both. A bit of both. Like you know, Kev would always tell us how to defend, how many was in the wall, who who the main markers were, and what we'd. We try and from there on the training ground, we'd sort of like work it out between us. Kev would come up and say, like, I think that if we'd in swing at this side, out swing at that side. So we'd we'd work on different things in training. You know, it wasn't wasn't just made up as we went on the pitch. We used to knew know the opposition, how the how many men had the wall, who was in the wall, who were the main markers, and we used to try and pick out the weakest marker and try and get our best header to to block somebody and run in and whip the ball in at an angle. Always whip it in on goal because if everybody misses, it goes in the goal, you know. That's what used to work on things like that, you know, just little key things like that. So what will we do? We have a quick fire quiz. So I'm just going to throw a couple yeah. of questions at you. About your time at Wrexham, you just just fire off fire off your first answer. During your time there, who was the most skillful? Oh, uh, Connolly. Oh, good. I like Cole that. Connolly, without a doubt, without a doubt. Just the ball was stuck to his left foot. He could beat anybody. He could beat somebody in the in the corner flag. Mm. He, he, really good in the air as well. People, people. Yeah, he, he, he was one of them players. That, you know, he, he was thin enough, but he used to hang for ages in the air. He used to jump early and. Some defenders used to like jump with them, but they were coming down. He was still hanging there and he used to beat them in the air. You know, he, he was good, like really good. I, I thought he was a good player, really excellent player. Yeah. Right. Who was the biggest moaner? Oh, Kev Russell, without a doubt. Oh, he didn't say Kev Russell. Well, we had Kev Russell on a couple of months ago. He didn't say it was him. He said he did like a moan, but there was worse people. I bet he, I bet he said me. I can I can neither confirm nor deny that. Kevin yeah, Russell used to mourn. I, re- I remember playing the race course one day, and he'd been substituted three times on the run at, at, at the race course. And every time he came to the pit, he walked past me and Wayne Phillips said, don't know he's taking me off. Used to having a nightmare. <laughs> Just hear that. And he used to look up at Brian Flynn, because Brian Flynn is still up there. So this day, we were doing a warm-up, and he went to the dugout. And I thought, what are you doing over there? Kev Russell said, Flynn, he's not going to sub me today. Because at the time, it was one of them where you had a, a bag full of numbers. It was 1 3 11. And they used to hold the number up when the player was coming off. So there was no electronic thing then. So he went over to the dugout, took the number eight out, put it under the seat, and hit it. And I think we were playing Brentford. And he said, I'll not get subbed today. He says, I've hit the number eight. So we kicked off, and after 10 minutes, their number eight gets injured. He's getting carried off. And everybody <laughs> said, where's the number eight? And Rooster stuck it under the chair in the dugout. Nobody could find the number eight. <laughs> he didn't own up then? No, 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 he didn't. 
He says, whatever you do, don't tell a gaffer. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, can the best thing about Kev Russell is, Brian Kerry used to say to him, Kev, how are you feeling today? He used to go, oh, my back, my knees, says, mate, I'm, I feel terrible. Brian, Brian Kerry used to turn to me and say, that's good, you play well today. <laughs> he came in and he went, how are you feeling, Kev? Oh, I feel great. He went, he'll get subbed in. <laughs> so, so it was during the cup run, we're playing Peterborough away, and they were on the bus coming in. He said, Never slept a wink. And that mattress was useless in the hotel. My back's killing us, my knees killing us. Look at that, swollen. He used to pull his trousers down. Look at my knees swollen. He said, So he got two goals in the game against Peterborough in the FA Cup. And he, I said, After that, I thought, Bloody hell, Rooster, just leave it. So, you know, he said that he said that during the the, the West Ham goal. He, was, he I was said, take me through the goal, Kev. He goes, oh, you won't believe it. That season, been struggling with my knee all season. <laughs> yeah, spot on. And then he, yeah. and then he, he, he hits it with his left, doesn't he? Sweetest. He pulls it in on his right and hits it with his left, and it was like an like an arrow straight in the corner. And uh, right. oh, yeah, but the the celebration after was unbelievable as well because he'd scored the winner, and he was naked, stood on the physio bench, moonwalking, singing a song. And there was a knock on the door, and Harry Redknapp stuck his head on the door. <laughs> there was Rooster stood, bollock naked on top of there. And he went, "All right, Harry." <laughs> <laughs> Me and Craig Skinner were just killing ourselves laughing, and Harry Redknapp said. Good goal, Rooster. Uh, well done, lads. And good luck in the next round, mate. You know, that's Rooster for you. He had got a bit more than he bargained for there. Oh, yeah. When he walked in, it was a nightfall. Yeah, his knee was all right then, wasn't it? His knee was all right then, jumping on there. Dear me. Who was the worst dressed? Worst dressed? Oh, dear me. Yeah, I'm trying to think now. The worst dressed. We weren't very stylish in them days, was you know? Uh, worst dressed. I was going to say Dazone, but no, Dazone used to come in his tracksuit all the time. Uh, I mean, that, that could qualify. <laughs> I think uh, Dazone else was a. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it might have been Dazone. I think Dazone always yeah. in the tracksuit or, or his jeans with his. Arse hanging out sort of thing, like, you know. Builders yeah. jeans. Yeah, right. builders jeans. He used to walk in, like, as if you just get out of bed or something every morning, like, you know. And even when, if you got a new tracksuit, he always looked, he always looked scuffy in it, like, as if he'd slept in it, like, you know. <laughs> right. But he was a good player. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking that. Who was the most underrated player who didn't really get the plaudits? Um, I, I have to say, uh, for me... Tony Humes was a great leader on the pitch. Great leader. You know, injuries cost him daily, but he was a great leader on the pitch and you know, a good organiser. Uh, Wayne Phillips was excellent. Like, you know, people used to think when I first went there, nobody seemed to rate him, like, you know, but he had that season where he scored he scored double figures and he was excellent in midfield, running from, from the midfield, you know, he, he was uh, really good. Um yeah, I'd have to say probably Tony Humes for me. People didn't realise what a big when he was playing, what a massive effect he had on the team. You know, as an organiser, captain, leader, like you know, I, I think he was underrated. He was he was a really good player. 
how good could Tony Humes have been if he didn't have those injuries? I knew he had he had quite he had one quite quite early in his career as well. Didn't yeah, he? the one at Ipswich. I, I don't think I think that if he, he had a really bad injury at Ipswich, and I think that's why he ended up at Wrexham, you know, because I don't think I think that if he didn't get them injuries that he had and struggled with the muscle, you know, like things connected with the injury you know, over the years, I, I think that he, he would never come to Wrexham. I think he was too good for that, you know. I think he would have been yeah. played higher. And last, last one in the quick fire round. Who was the hardest? Who do do you not want to fight? <laughs> I don't know who to fight. Probably Tony Hughes was one of them as well. He, he was tough. Joy, yeah, <laughs> Joy, yeah. But I, I don't think we had it. Don't think we had a hard case in 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 the team that you, you were scared of sort of thing. They were all nice lads, sort of thing. Like you know, probably too nice. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't think there was anybody that you really. Really, really didn't want to fight. Like, and I just think that they were nice lads. And Tony Humes was a tough cookie. Like, he he kicked through people, head back people's head, and that. And he he was a he was a tough guy. But there's none of them you would say like, God, I wouldn't like to take him on. Like, because they never give you that impression. But that was probably one of our weaknesses. Was we're too nice of the team. Mm. I mean, yeah, there could be a case of Peter Ward put a put a few. No, 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 no. I was. I, I like to tackle on the field, but I didn't like the fighting scene. Oh, okay. I used Fair to be quite good at the verbals and the one liners, right. you know, to get people wound up. But uh, not not one of the. I used to I used to jump in from afar, stop <laughs> when we started, and then then move to the back. Just coming on to some of your um, teammates from around that era, I think. Brian Hughes is probably the one, one of the ones that stands out the most. Um, talk to me a bit about you know when he was coming through the team and what were your first impressions of him as you saw, when you saw him as a player. Um, when I first met him, he was very young, scouse lad. Obviously, had a lot to say for himself. You know, we had a few scousers in the changing room then, and you know they were like a, a shop union, like in the corner, like. A, always giving stick out there, and they all joined in together, giving everybody stick and that. But he was. He was confident, you know, and uh, he, he was a big lad as well. You know, he wasn't, he, he was very thin at the time when I first came in, but he was brilliant on the ball and you and training. And sometimes he'd do stupid things. He'd try and do too much and all that, you know, but when we got training and all that, he seemed to, he knew when to release the ball. He knew when to make his runs. And that, I said that cup run, it, it was all about him. He was, he was brilliant. He saved us. I mean, we should have went out against Colwyn Bay we were that poor. And he got got the equaliser and all that, and got us into replay and that. And I think that the two goals at Birmingham and that it's it's but we knew when we saw him that he was a, he was a decent decent kid, and if he could uh, could develop, he was going to be a very good, and he, he went on to be a very good player. Were you so, were you sort of tasked with giving him you know advice and helping his game along, or how did your you know your relationship sort of work? Well, initially, when I first came in, Brian Flynn said. You can do all the coaching on the training ground, he said, but they learn better off pros. And that's how he thought about it. He said, I can, I can put sessions on to try and... But he said, he'll learn more off you by just playing alongside you or playing against you in training. And he uh, he said, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, that's why uh, I came in. And Dave Bramble was the same. Like, you know, there, there were different players. Yossa was a goal scorer and Bramble was a playmaker and good power and that sort of... Brian Flynn, he said, don't just train, 
show them good things and they'll learn off you. And uh, they did learn off us and they picked it up quickly, you know, and the improvement in, 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 like uh, in the first six months after being there, I thought my my position's under threat here by these two young kids, you know, they're, they're good, they're good. How much of that, Rick, was Carl Conley? Oh, Carl Conley. Oh, he was a brilliant player, you know, he had skill and everything, he was good in the air, he had a good shot and he never got injured. People would try and kick levels out of him. He never got injured, you know. He just he knew how to ride a tackle. And it was like all week you'd be training and you're doing set players. And it used to be, I used to go mad with them because we set up and uh, Carl Connie would have to do a dummy run or something to take one of the markers away. And you knew when it came to Saturday. So you set it up and you think you're waiting for him to do his run like somebody else does a run. Then Carl Conley knows where the ball's coming, so he goes to exactly the spot where the ball's coming, and he block, yeah, the blocks Brian Carey or somebody else, or takes a marker into the place ahead. We used to go furious with him, like you know, and, so, and then sometimes you'd say like, "Carl, drop into this position," and then he'd do it all week in training, and he, oh, it's working. This we're going to cause problems. When it comes to Saturday, he just do his own thing. <laughs> he was good at it though. Was he? Was he? Was that just because he was so sort of desperate? You say like he was chasing. He knew where the ball would go. He just wanted to get the ball. He wanted to score the goal. Was, he wanted... Yeah, he just wanted to score. Like you know, he's, he, he 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 was another one. You know, money and anything didn't bother him. He just wanted to play football and he wanted to play well. He wanted people to see that he played well. You know, and he he was. Uh, yeah, when he scored a goal, he, he was made up. Like you know, he wouldn't shut up in the change room. He was a quiet lad, you know. But if he'd scored. All the way back on the bus, you'd be talking how good, what a great goal that was, and all that. You wouldn't shut him up. Typical Scouser. Yeah, was he part of the Scouse Mafia, sort of giving it out, or was he a yeah. bit more quiet and reserved in the changing room? Oh, he could give it out. Yeah, he could give it out, but he was a bit reserved, like you know, some of the, some of the other ones were, uh, you know, like uh, Yossa was. Uh, he also was very vocal from 18, 19, you know, when I first walked in, he, you know, you could hear him all. Every time he was giving it out to the kids and he was giving it out to the old ones, you know, he never, he never missed a trick. But, but, but once, if you turned on Yossa, then Carl Connie would jump in and right. it was one of them, like, you know, they'd all jump in together, like stick up for each other. And another sort of player who's, who's a big favourite that that era was uh, Andy Marriott. Like, I, yeah. I still think him the best Best goalkeeper I've ever seen in, in, in a Wrexham shirt. Some of the, some of the, some of the shot stopping was just, just yeah. amazing. Without a doubt, he, he he was the best. I thought he was the best keeper in the league at the time. You know, and I, and I was just waiting. I was expecting him to go at any moment. You know, he was he was playing that well, and he was he was he was an excellent trainer. You know, uh, the only thing that let him down, I think, people used to moan about his distribution and all that. But I think some of the saves that he pulled off. So kept us in the game many times, you know. Wonderful saves, one ones, uh, great collecting long uh, crosses, high balls. You know, he was brilliant at that. But I said, some of the reaction saves were absolutely fantastic, and the way he worked in training, you knew it wasn't luck. He, he was just, he worked really hard, you know, in training, and there was he was one of the other things as well in training. He he wanted to be better, and it, it sort of like helped the young lads as well because they were seeing him training really hard, like doing his extra bit in the gym. And doing loads of work after with the specialist goalkeeping coach, you know. So, but he was an excellent keeper. He was he was the best in the league, I think, at the time. Mm. And so, you know, I think for four seasons at Wrexham, um, you'd been brought in to do a job to to help the midfield. You know, you you'd done that. 
when you were sort of coming to the to the end, so I think you were about 35, 36, did you know that would be your last season? Did you oh, think? Yeah, uh, I got a bad injury um, pre-season where I'd, I damaged the tendon on the sole of my foot and the plantar fasciitis and it was all uh, it was all bruised and there was an in, internal bleeding that and I had, I, oh. I, I had a lot of uh, injections, cortisones to try and, you know, because it's like a fibrous band on your foot that keeps all your bones together, and it was inflamed. It was like having a, a red hot golf ball on the sole of your foot, like you know. I used to get up in the morning and I have to put my foot in a bucket of hot water to get it working before I could drive to the race course, you know, for training. It was it was getting bad, and it come at a bad time for us because when I was playing out, you were in the in the like mode and you're going through every day. It, it was easy to keep coming in and doing it, but when you get have that setback at that age. You never really recover, and I just didn't think. I thought I was thinking to myself, "I'm struggling here." Like you know, I don't think I'm going to get it back. I mean, people weren't going to say I'm going to lose my pace because I never had any, you know. So, <laughs> but it was just one of the, just like you, you wanted to get your pass off, and me pass. I couldn't get my pass off, and training and things like that. And I think it was it was getting notable, like you know. And I think at the time I, I was in in and out the team. I wasn't really 100% fit all that season. And it wasn't a surprise. I was disappointed when it, when it happened, but it wasn't a surprise to us, like, you know, because I could feel it myself, like, you know. And uh, I'd had a great, t- had a great time. I mean, the cup run was brilliant and I enjoyed training every day because I felt as if I was helping some of the younger lads and I really sort of, like, enjoyed it. So it, that was the most disappointing. I really liked it there, you know, and I, I wanted mm. to try and like get into the playoffs and do something for the fans to, you know, to, to like leave something like, you know, but uh, as I said, that, that, that I was disappointed that season. It was really like hit and miss for me. And, and I, I just knew I was getting old. I was 34, coming up to 35. And it, it was, it, it, it once I, if I was keep going, I thought I probably would get another season, you know, no yeah. but that injury really did. Cause my joints seemed to seize up, my grinds, my knees, all yeah. them start to flare up, you know, and I was having twinges that I never used to have, like, you know, and, and as I said, yeah. the, foot, the foot was never never right, you know. I mean, did, was your contract up at the end of that season? Got, did you hope uh, maybe they might give you, like, a six-month to prove yourself, or, or did you sort of think, oh, you know what? No, I think, I, I, think I, I knew, like, I, I was half expected, but it's never good news when, when it come and... and you, you more or less know what's coming, but you don't like to accept it sort of thing. Like, but you know, really, I should I should just look back on it and said like, well, I've, I've enjoyed my time. I mean, my, my wife and my daughters came to every home game, and they love they love coming to the ground. Like, you know, they loved the games. You used to go to the away games, and the Wrexham fans used to look after them, get them in good seats, and you know, and they really loved it as well. Like, you know, I thought, God, I'm going to miss all this. Like, you know, and it doesn't really hit you for a while, but. When it does, it's it's really sad, like you know, you, you know, the enjoyment that you got that I got from it. just even it was four years. It was four years I really enjoyed, you know. I mean, I'll be honest. You left a really big mark at, at the club. You really did because that was the time when I first started watching the game. And as I said at the top, it's like it was probably the best side that I can remember. Mm. And you know, you were a big part of it. Just that little bit of extra quality we needed in midfield <laughs> at, at that at that at that times, yeah. you know, and it just added to what already was a good 
good side. It was a good side, and I, I remember I get I got called in Brian Flynn's office, and uh, I think we just won away at Stockport on the Tuesday night, and uh, we'd come in for training on the Wednesday, uh, light training session, and that, and he got us in the office. He says, uh, "Sit down." He says, I've, "I've had an inquiry for you." I said, "All oh, right," and I'm thinking, "Well," he said, uh, "Yeah, Sammy Lee from Liverpool just asked." Uh, Who's your number six? From he says last night. He says, "What a good player he is. We'd like to have a look at him." <laughs> and then, then he realised I was thirty year old. He said, "Mad." And Flynn, he thought it was funny, and I didn't. I come out, I could have started crying. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, the lads are like taking the mic out with all day. I couldn't wait to get home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't know how I don't know how I would how I'd react to that. Yeah, yeah well. I don't know. It was a compliment anyway, but I just felt bloody hell. I'm 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. me. Oh, fair enough. And and just a sort of quick uh, sort of just a sort of quick sort of your your sort of reactions to, to what's happening at Wrexham now. I mean, you sort of talked about, you know, the fan base and how it sort of helped, you know, your your family and things like that. You, it, it, it's still surreal for us, but you know, I sort of feel that when other fans have a go at us saying, "Oh, you're just a holly," you know, you're just buying success. I do sort of still think that we deserve it a little bit because we've had to put up with quite a bit. Yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I was delighted when I found out. I thought it was a joke at first, like everybody else. But when it actually went through, I thought, "God, it's exciting times." This like, you know, and I think that they've got plans to do other things. Like, I had a quick read through. When, when it was announced, like you know, and I think I think great, man, and I really, I really hope it's a success, man. I just can't wait to see Wrexham back in the league. That, that that's one thing I want strip more than anything is to see Wrexham back in the league. Like you know, it's heartbreaking to see that you know when I come back to the ground and all that, and the fans are so enthusiastic and all that, and I think this is a league club, like you know, we should be back in the league, like you know. And I just hope that these fellas bring the success, like you know, I really do. And I think that I don't think that. The chuck and money at things, they're trying to do things properly, like you know, and get people involved and do things different ways. But I think it's an exciting time, and I think the way the league's looking now, they're pushing, they're getting stronger and stronger. It's going to be a really good running at the end of the season. Yeah, you could end up with Stockport and Wrexham going up. Well, that would this. be an ideal scenario for me, you know. Yeah, one up and one up through the playoffs, that would be great, you know, absolutely. One final question from me. If you had to pick one of Stockport or Wrexham to go up this season, who are you going to go for? Who do you want to go up? <laughs> well, come on, you can't ask us that question. That's cruel. <laughs> that is absolutely terrible. Man. But I, I, I think that the way the, the two teams are playing, I actually think that they're both going to go up. I think it could be May the 7th is the game at, uh, at the racecourse ground, and uh, that could be... If, the, if things go well, that could be a, one to see who goes up as champion, I think, you know. You know, there's going to be some twists and turns in the next few weeks. So, although Stockport, uh, is it 10 points clear, but Wrexham have a game in hand and reduce it to seven. I think that uh, it's going to be really tight. I think that there's a couple of twists and that game on the 7th of May is going to be a big, big game. Going to make sure I'm there. Oh, great. We'd love to see you. I came across... Um... Quite an, uh, an interesting video on YouTube. It was an interview you did with 
uh, TV reporter. I'm not sure what channel while you were at um, Wrexham. You, it was the late 90s and you were talking about this internet thing where you said that you couldn't even uh, switch it on or something like that. So I think the fact that you, you're here with us on Zoom probably tells us the answer, <laughs> but you're any better with the internet these days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I remember uh, me when I was at Wrexham, my brother-in-law set, a, set up a page for us. He, he's into all the IT stuff and he set up a page for us and I used to get requests from all over the world for signed photographs, and it was costing us a fortune. I was posting them out to people, Norway, Ch- China. I was getting all these requests, like, and he was sending them through to us, and I didn't even know what I was doing, like, you know, and I'm thinking, can I not just download them onto the onto the clips, onto the uh, onto the computer, and then send them that? But I ended up, I was sending them signed photographs, so my pictures used to sell out in the club shop and everybody was wondering why it's because I used to buy them myself so I could sign them and send them to the fans. It wasn't because I was popular with the fans, it was because I was buying them myself. You charged for that. You reckon you were the first mil- you know, internet millionaire, couldn't you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> if, I knew, if I knew what I was doing, I could have been, yeah. Oh, your brother-in-law was taking the piss. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably. Not him, probably, yeah. <laughs> Peter... Absolutely loved that that hour. Thank you so much for talking talking about your career. As I said before, a real fan's favourite, and you know, just uh, just delighted that you look back on your time at Wrexham so fondly. Um, really, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. Brought some great memories back. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight, you know. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that cup run and about the goals I've scored, and I think, dear me, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Just really don't be sick, that. Peter. <laughs> I, won't be, I won't be. I won't be sick tonight. No, no. All, all them days were gone now. That was just. That was just one of them things for the games. Yeah, yeah it's crazy though, isn't it? Yeah. I'd love to know who told you that anyway. Oh, I'm not saying anything. Yeah. Not, not, not anyone uh, who sounds like Wayne Phillips. Uh, right. <laughs> Thanks to Peter Ward, the man with hair of Weller, for his wonderful time. Um, what a player, what a bloke. Also Stockport legend, um, which I believe the guys over at the, uh, the, the Stockport County podcast will be listening to and sharing for us. Um, let's go from there into the Wrexham ladies. The girls under-19s won their title last weekend. Fabulous achievement, great stuff to them, all the coaches, Gemma, Gareth, they, there's, there's, there's so many to mention. But like, you know, it, obviously the, 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 the Wrexham women's senior team missed out by the narrowest margins of the week. That will come, but it's great to see success further down the, the age group as well. So well done to you guys. All, last, lasses, I should say, not guys. Right, moving on to predictions, Andy. Um, you don't have your little black book, I'd imagine. So, uh, but I think we we all went for those wins. I think, didn't we? we didn't Sorry, I'm right under a I'm right under a speaker. Here. <laughs> That's okay. She, right, she won't. She won't shut up. Uh, right, basically, no. Yeah, you're right. No one went six five. Why would we? Um, I think we all went more or less went for Halifax. So wins over Halifax and over Dover. So we're pretty much as we were. So let's go ahead to next week. I'll go first. I think we're going to draw with Stockport and I think we're going to beat them on penalties. So it's going to be 1-1 one, one at the end of extra time. We'll beat them 5-4 on penalties. I also think we'll do we'll do Barnet. I think it's going to be 3-0. I think we'll lose 2-1 to Stockport and we'll beat Barnet 3-1. Negative Reese, negative Reese, negative Reese. Well, 
Um, I still got visions of Andy being being looked at by the control room at Crew Station, thinking, "Who is this nutter screaming into his phone, trying to out out shout the uh, the, the lady on the, <laughs> on the megaphone?" <laughs> um, but right, okay, I'm going to go one one at full time with Stockport, and I think we'll we'll get the winner in in the thirty minutes extra time. So we'll beat them two one, get ourselves to Wembley again. Barnet will drill them four 0 in our last game under the Tuesday night lights, I believe, this season. And Liam has said to send his predictions, hasn't he? Yeah, I've got them. So he reckons we're going to lose three two to Stockport, but he mm. thinks we're going to beat Barnet three one. Oh, very good, similar to me. Um, right, thank you very much for that. Oh, should we talk about the Stockport game for two minutes? I mean, it's a big game, isn't it? Yes. Obviously, uh, you get the sense that it's it's worth more than the FA Trophy obviously due to the context of the rest of the season a win would be a would be a statement and would hope would maybe just sort of disrupt the momentum a little bit would be nice it would be nice um they're going to come here giving it the big one saying that they've already won the league and that they're staying down or whatever there's going to be lots of lots of to and fro between both sets of fans but you know if ever you want an opportunity to help knock a couple of wheels off their their trophy winning cap, then it's that one, isn't it? You know, you go into a game, all right, shipping five goals but scoring six, um, in you know, with that sort of team spirit. So you just don't know. You just don't know. You, you, you know, anything's possible. It's going to be a good game. Stockport will think they're un, they're unbeatable. They run their own. But the thing yeah. is, after after being five two down with twenty five minutes to go, we also think we're unbeatable. Um, I think I think it's going to be a cracking game. I'm sorry, I can't come up for this one, but. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll definitely be uh, be streaming it. I, I've just got a feeling it'd be really tight. It'd be full of good attacking play, but we'll do them on penalties. Just just got that feeling. Just because we're at home, there'll be a big 9,000 crowd there. I feel sorry for the Stockport analytical so. team and the scouting so. team having to give a report uh, to Dave Chaloner after that Dover match. <laughs> I'm not sure how much you could actually glean from it in turn. That's going to be useful to exploit. So I suppose some of the defensive frailties, but it was such a madcap game. Uh, I'm not sure how much they really could learn from it. Yeah, it's going to give them a bit of a false sense of security, isn't it? I think um, it's, it's not an accurate portrayal of our season on the whole, especially during this, this winning run. It's an anomaly. It's never going to happen again, probably. Certainly not for a long, long time, I hope. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I think Andy's right. It's going to be nip and tuck. But like I said, there's, so, there's going to be so much in t- attack and intent on display. They're going, both are going to go with strong sides, you'd think. Um, going to be a cracker. And it, is it going to be a dress rehearsal for for what could be? I'm not going to say when it takes all because they really need their wheels to come off in the league. But, you know, it'd be nice to be nice to do. We, we owe them one. We didn't give a very good account of ourselves at Edgley Park earlier this season. Very, very different different teams to what we've, what we've got now. Yes, it's a big game and we're all looking forward to it. Right, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email fidzine, so that's F-I-D-Z-I-N-E, at gmail.com. Note the uh, correct pronunciation. And we will be back in a few weeks and look forward to joining you then. Cheers. Cheers. Bye from me and the women at crew. (laughs) 